Upgrade your sim racing experience with the Logitech G920 for Xbox and Logitech G29 for PlayStation. Featuring a steel steering shaft, anodized aluminum wheel spokes and brushed stainless steel shifters, you'll feel the difference in the latest steering wheels from Logitech. Sturdy mounting systems make the G920 and G29 perfect for any sim racing setup, whether you're just starting out or you're a veteran. To find out more, visit www.rootware.co.za forward slash Logitech. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. Uh, it is Heritage Day, we're actually recording this on Thursday, so if anything major happens between um, midday on Thursday and the release of this podcast, uh, that's why we don't address it, because we're recording this the day before. Uh, joining me as always is Clinton Matos. Hello again everybody. And Robin Chetty. Howdy. You guys uh, celebrating Heritage Day tomorrow? You're going to burn some meat on the grill? Uh, I think I'm going to uh, sleep in and be as comatose as possible. Uh, I don't think there's any brawling going to be happening. And yourself, Robin? Yeah, we'll be de- making some burnt offerings. Uh, but that's, that, that's before uh, I wake up at half past 11 like Bo, Bo Burnham said <laughs> I should do. All right. Uh, before that, though... Um, first off, we just want to say thanks to Logitech for sponsoring this edition of the Africast. But let's jump into the news of the week. Uh, Robin, you have got to play with a new smartphone. Yeah, a new foldable, um, the Galaxy Z Fold 3. Uh, we'll be lucky enough to receive one for review. Uh, as people may know, Samsung uh, launched two new foldable devices uh, a few weeks ago. That's the Galaxy Z Fold 3 and then the Flip 3. Uh, so we got to, I guess, play around with the, the larger of the two. And, yeah, we have some thoughts. Um, this is now, as the name suggests, I guess the third iteration of the Fold 3. But for all intents and purposes, um, only two have really been available in South Africa. The first iteration uh, was rather limited. Um, but the Fold 2 and Fold 3, I guess, had a, had a wider release. And it's a it's a difficult phone to I guess fall in love with. Um, the Fold Three, from at least an engineering perspective, is 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 quite impressive. Uh, there's a lot of innovation that's gone into the device. Uh, several subtle improvements across the board, specifically around the display itself. Um, with the Fold Two, I found it to be a little bit tacky, um, a little sticky uh, when you're using it. Um, I'm assuming that that was based on the materials used for the foldable display. That's not an issue here with the Fold 3. Uh, Samsung did quite a bit of engineering to kind of refine it and improve it, uh, both from a visual perspective but actual a tactile perspective. So that's the reason why there is now stylus support in the form of the S Pen Fold Edition. Uh, and, yeah, that's really a welcome addition. It's one of the elements that I touched on during my review of the Fold 2 last year is that you have all the screen real estate but no stylus to make the most of it as you did with the Galaxy Note series. Uh, one of the issues, however, with the stylus is that Samsung chose not to recess the actual S Pen within the frame of the Fold 3 
as it has done with more recent Note devices. I'm assuming that would require a lot more engineering in order to do. Mm. So I can understand why it hasn't happened this time around, given the, I guess, the short turnaround time between Fold 2 and Fold 3. And potentially that's something we'll see down the line. But I think it is a, a misstep from Samsung, uh, especially when you consider that you're going to need a cover to hold your stylus uh, and that always, as we know, could potentially lead to losing a very expensive accessory. And kind of sticking with the whole cover situation, um, much to my chagrin, there is no cover included in the in the box of the Fold 3. The same goes for the charger. There's no charger. And I think we've spoken at length as to why that's a problem, mm. uh, particularly as it pertains to wattage. And uh, the whole spiel from samsung around consumers that are purchasing this kind of device already having a charger available i understand that but at the same time if i'm dropping thirty-eight thousand rand on a phone the bare minimum i expect is a charger and a at least a clear plastic cover to to, to see me through the first few weeks that should be a minimum so i'm really disappointed that samsung hasn't done it here especially when you consider the, the galaxy a series have chargers and covers so it's a bit of an odd choice and we'll continue to point it out whenever we review <laughs> some of these Samsung flagship phones that, guys, we need, we, we need to get the charging case in, involved again. Yeah. Um, back to the actual phone itself. Uh, I really enjoyed the, 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 the device when it's unfolded. As I mentioned, the, the screen has been improved. Uh, visuals are great. I like some of the innovative uh, touches that Samsung have added to the mix. For example, having digital pixels over the front-facing camera to create the illusion of an underscreen selfie camera when you're actually not taking pictures. Uh, I think that the the rear camera system, which uh, features three 12-pixel cameras, one ultra-wide, one wide-angle, and one telephoto, yields great pictures. I was really surprised and, and impressed by that. Um, uh, the overall visuals as well, it, it, it's great for uh, watching video and for reading uh, material as well. Uh, so there are a lot of uh, positives about the device. But for me, it feels like Samsung have really worked hard on the hardware and ensure that the engineering of the device is beyond fault. Uh, but for me now, it's, they need to start refining the software because it doesn't really feel as productivity focused as it should. Um, it doesn't seem like the same kind of thought and effort has gone into it as, say, the Note series, which I referenced quite a bit in my review, that Samsung really built that device as, I guess, a business-focused, productivity-focused uh, uh, phone. And here, it, it kind of misses the mark. Um, so, uh, again, I kind of appreciate all the engineering that's gone into it and can certainly attest to the great visuals it, it gives you great camera performance the battery is also quite impressive considering it's only a 4400 milliamp unit uh, and you are using quite a lot of power intensive elements of this device um, but for me it still feels very experimental and at 38,000 well 37,999 rand that's the recommended retail price at that kind of price point Things, like I said, still feel very experimental, and I think that a lot of consumers aren't going to be, aren't really able to kind of take that risk um, when the device hasn't been fully fleshed out. So I think we're still probably two or three iterations away from a Fold 3 being something that you must have. Um, yeah, so like I said, great engineering, some really impressive specifications and features, but 
um, there's still some ways to go, in my opinion, for the Fold 3. I have a question, Robin. How anxiety-inducing mm. is uh, holding that phone? Walking um, around with it, just on a day-to-day basis. It is fairly anxiety-inducing, especially as I don't want to fit the bill if it gets broke. Yeah. Uh, we were seated a unit for review only, so uh, I- I've been walking around with it in cotton wool. Um, <laughs> Get the stuff back, folks. We uh it's not a nice thing we get to put in the drawer. It, uh, it goes back and it needs to be as good as it was. Yeah. Yeah. So th- I think that's probably another element that if, for example, there was something like, like just like a, one of those generic clear plastic cases, yeah. I would feel a lot better. But the fact that it's not included and I don't necessarily know if that's going to be communicated to consumers at uh, the point of sale. I'm sure that uh, salespeople try and upsell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just something that if I'm dropping 38K, just throw in the case, guys. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I remember with the the first flip, the Z, the first Z flip, um, Samsung included like a hard shell plastic case uh, in the box, and it wasn't very good. I, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't recommend people use it long term, but it was at least something to get you through to the other side before you could before you could buy a new case, right? And the fact that they don't have that now is just. Like it's your most delicate phone, guys. Maybe splurge a little. Give us some cheap plastic. That's all we're asking. So, so Robin, how much was it again? Sorry, in rands. Uh, thirty-seven thousand nine hundred ninety-nine rand dollars. Okay. So, just for comparison, the brand new announced iPhone thirteen Pro Max with the highest capacity, which is one terabyte, is one thousand six hundred dollars. Now that converts to twenty-four thousand rand about, but. By the time it comes here, it will probably be closer to 30 or more. So, I mean, it's expensive, but people are dropping close to that much on the new iPhone every year. So, I mean, swings and roundabouts, um, <laughs> it's expensive, but the people with money will probably pay it anyway. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But for me, it's more, um, I think with the, say, for example, one of the other Samsung phones, like the S21, you know exactly what you're getting. You know the experience that's going to be delivered. With this, it feels like... You're not getting everything that the phone can really is really capable of. Like they haven't really thought about the software elements, and perhaps I'm nitpicking uh, here. People just want a cool phone that's foldable. I don't know, but for me, it feels like you've sorted out the hardware, you sorted out the engineering. Now let's get the software where it needs to be. I think yeah. the, one of the problems of that, though, and I've seen it uh, spoken about a lot in other reviews, is that uh, developers aren't developing for this sort of phone, right? I mean, I'm I'm sure that people like Google and Google-specific apps are primed for that with the exception of some apps. But, I mean, I don't foresee like Twitter making it a priority to make its app compatible with a larger screen in a Samsung, right? Or that folding adaptive sort of multitasking view. Um, So I think that that's a problem that Samsung has to kind of address. I don't know how it's going to do that. Maybe incentivize developers to make apps for its... uh, it's phone. I know it was something that they mentioned at the launch, but I mean, like you say, Robin, if the if the software is not there, it's, it doesn't really help you that much. We've seen that with Huawei. Yeah, it was one thing that I encountered with this phone. Uh, certain apps, a lot of the apps that I use regularly on a day-to-day basis, and mm. uh, when I was web browsing as well, it's just not optimized for that fully unfolded uh, 7.6-inch display. Mm. Um, it's one of the things I guess you'll have to get used to 
Um, but like I said, when you're dropping that much money on the phone, you expect everything to be near flawless. Yeah, and I'm sure also, I mean, it's like with all tech, um, the people who are buying it right now, early adopters, and it will hopefully become cheaper as time goes on. I, I don't know how they'll make it cheaper because as far as we've been told about the tech, it's just extremely labor intensive and material intensive to make, but I'm sure they'll figure out a way to make it cheaper. Yeah, uh, hopefully that kind of stuff kind of percolates down to the mid-range space. I think it is really interesting, particularly the flip, mm. uh, not necessarily the fold. Um, I'm not too sure the form factor when it's unfolded makes sense. I think it's perhaps a little bit too tall and can become a little bit unwieldy. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we saw recently Microsoft uh, did their Surface Duo 2, so hopefully more manufacturers are willing to take a gamble and pursue these kind of foldable slash multifunctional phones down the line. iPhone will do it soon, I'm sure of it. Oh, Apple you say that. Apple is still using lightning connectors, dude. No, I know, but, I know, but Apple's the king at uh, at waiting a few years to let Android do the heavy lifting and swooping in and claiming they created something. It's their... Uh, their yeah, imagine, imagine a foldable Apple phone and it's got that ugly notch. The world's first dual retina, dual notch phone. Yeah, 100%. Something like that. Some weird marketing that they'll choose. Anyway, let, let's move on with the news. Clinton, you've got some news for us from this week. Yes, more expensive tech. <laughs> so, yeah, so a while ago, the Nintendo Switch OLED model was announced. And when it was announced, we knew right away what the price was in America. And we knew it was coming to South Africa because the local distributor call confirmed it was coming to South Africa. But what we didn't know 100% at all, literally today, well, Yesterday, Thursday, the 23rd, was how much this damn thing was going to cost in South Africa. And we were waiting very eagerly because the Nintendo Switch price in South Africa has been going up and down over the past few years. When it first came to South Africa, it was something really affordable, 5,000 Rand or something around there. And every year it went higher and higher and it peaked last year when it shot up to 7,999 Rand. And... And I want to say the excuse, but the reason Core gave us was the um, uh, the the weakness of the rand. That was right in the worst part of the pandemic. The rand was really devalued, and that was the reason they gave us. But then it came down, and the switch right now, the regular Nintendo Switch, is six thousand nine hundred ninety nine, which is still almost double what it costs in America. But let's put that out of our minds. Let's talk about the OLED model. Because it is now coming out on the 8th of October in South Africa for 7999 So it's the same price as the normal Switch used to be before it got that massive price boost. So it's, again, almost double what it costs in America. In America, the OLED model is $350 and the regular Switch is $300. So the price difference is $50. And in South Africa, the price difference is 1,000 Rand, exactly 1,000 Rand. So like a lot of people have said, what is the value here? The difference between OLED and the normal switch is that the screen is slightly larger and the screen is an OLED, but that it doesn't really matter because the resolution is still 720p. So the big marketing push for this, and it's in the name of the product, OLED model, and that's, it's such a you know paint-by-numbers name, OLED model. That isn't me just... That's, that's the name Nintendo gave it. But anyway... Um, and the other improvements are so small and so uneventful. 
They redesigned the kickstand on the back, so it was more robust, which I mean is nice, but it it's so small. How many times and, have you used that kickstand, Clinton? Um, I've almost never used it because I use before I got different joy cons that were actually bigger and made for human hands mm. i had a, a big case around it which made this the um control bigger or just filled out your hands more so i couldn't even use the kickstand and now i've still been using something we have a review on on the site um the damon x machina uh bigger joy cons which come from a third party mm. and they're a bit too big. You can use the kickstand kind of, but it's it's even worse than usual. So almost never I've used the kickstand. Uh, but they've redesigned it. They've they say the audio has been made better, but uh, you know we won't we don't have one yet to review, so we can't comment on that. And then this is hilarious. They said that they've increased the storage, right? The original switch now, and even if you go buy a switch now in the store, it comes with thirty two gigabytes of internal memory now. Some of that is put aside for the operating system, first of all. So you don't even get 32 gigabytes. You know what the new one has? And they've a big marketing push for more storage? 64 gigabytes. Yeah, I was going to say. It sounded like a 64 gig increased. I mean, I know Nintendo Switch games are made. A lot of developers put some time and effort into bringing down the storage size to make it more appropriate for the system. But 64 gigabytes is still hilariously low. And... If you're buying a Switch now or you bought a Switch at launch, you still need an SD card. There's just no way around it. So that's 7999 You still need an SD card. I would recommend getting a screen protector because even on this OLED model, they have plastic screens. Not glass, plastic, which scratches up so easy. And I, I'm surprised they don't sell it with a, a screen protector in the box. They really should. Um and then you might also want to do something with the Joy-Cons because it's still the the same Joy-Cons and there's still the same problems. They're still too small and the analog sticks still have drift. How long has it been since the Switch has been out? Four, five years now? Yeah. And the, the analog st sticks still drift. So if I sound completely negative about this, probably because I am, I, I don't see why this was made. I don't see who was asking for it. Everyone has been holding their breath and waiting for a Nintendo Switch 2 or a Nintendo Switch Pro, which had... The two things people want is a higher resolution screen and they want um, a better CPU, GPU package so that it can run games better. And they didn't do any of that. They didn't even increase the resolution of the screen, which is ridiculous because in dock mode, the switch is made to output 1080p. So why couldn't they make an OLED model that's 1080p? Yeah, it's just a very weird thing. The last aspect of the South African launch I want to mention is that Core has said in their email, they were very clear about this, that there's going to be limited stock and uh, customers can only buy one console each. And all the resellers I've seen who have opened pre-orders today have also said the same thing, very limited stock. Some of them let you buy as many as you want, but the, the same message they're all sharing is limited stock. So I don't know if that's because we're South Africa and we're a smaller market compared to a lot of other places, or if this is going to be a worldwide thing. But in South Africa, it might be hard to get an OLED model in the future. We don't know. I'm just speculating. I just wanted to bring out that everyone who's selling the Switch is trying to make it very clear to customers that there's not a lot of the OLED models around. So, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I do wonder if it's not uh, indicative of the, the component shortage. Again, I know we bring this up almost every podcast, yeah. but I mean... 
we've seen shortages from PlayStation and uh, Xbox and now Switch. I mean, I think it's to be sort of expected at this stage. This time around, however, I honestly think that the limited amount is just due to a low amount of interest in the product. Fair enough. Um, I'm just speaking for our local market before... Shortly after the global announcement, um, Core sent out um, not an email. Well, they did send out an email, but they had a little marketing campaign where you could express your interest in picking one of these up. So I'm sure they did that in other territories. And just looking at the general re- reaction online, it seems that people just aren't excited about this project. So maybe after they looked at the initial reaction, Nintendo went to its producers and said, we're not going to order as many as we would have. So again, that's just pure speculation. Um, it, it could very well be component shortages. Nintendo could be very gung-ho about this and they're going to produce it no matter what. But for now, all we can say in South Africa, it's going to be limited. We can't say uh, about other markets and we can't say about future restocks. But for now, it, it's going to be very limited. Awesome. Well, not awesome. I mean... Thanks for that, Clinton. Uh, let's touch base very quickly with cybersecurity. Um, this week, a company known as Debt In, they're a debt recovery cons- or debt recovery firm. Uh, they announced that they had been the target of a cyber breach uh, all the way back in April 2021. What makes this really alarming is that the only reason they know about the breach is because one of its partners discovered data that it suspected was linked to Dead In on the dark web. Um, Unfortunately, as many as 1.4 million South Africans are affected. And given that this is a debt recovery firm, um, I'm going to hazard a guess at saying that the information here in the wrong hands could be very, very dangerous. Uh, The information that was taken includes the customer name, customer surname, customer contact details, that's your email, mobile, and landline, customer ID numbers, customer account numbers, customer customer transactional data, which includes balance owed, payment dates, payments amounts, as well as the customer's employer information. That includes the salary date, employer name, and the employer address. Um, As mentioned, this is a debt recovery firm, and given that cyber criminals now have access to all this data, um, if you are in debt and you have debt collectors ringing your phone down the line um, and you want to make a payment, I would very much urge that you contact that firm directly rather than waiting for them to call you, uh, just because cyber criminals could craft a very, very clever uh, phishing campaign with this sort of information. Um, Unfortunately, the damage isn't limited to Dead In because uh, Dead In works with another number of other companies, including Standard Bank, uh, who informed its customers about the breach yesterday, as well as Africa Bank, which also informed its customers uh, yesterday. Um, To just give you a timeline of events, the breach uh, was is suspected to have occurred in April 2021. Um, The data was then discovered on the dark web on 14th of September, and it took dead in three days to verify that uh, the information was, in fact, it's. Um, Yeah, not a very good one, this data breach, and a very, very dangerous one. Um, And I'm curious to see what the information regulator does about this. Um, however, that having been said, my confidence that it is going to do anything is very, very low. Uh, if you are a debt in customer, 
Um, you can give them a call on 0800 079 That's 0800 079 um, And you can speak to them and they'll tell you what to go or what to do from there. In the story we wrote this week, there's also a link to an FAQ, um, which you should go and read up if you've ever dealt with this company before. But yeah, this is a very, very bad breach. And uh, I think that it might be one of the worst ones because, as I mentioned, the people who are the customers of debt recovery companies generally are people who are already in debt and don't have much money. And now all of this data is out in the open. Yeah. Um, and it's not like you can just change all of this stuff, right? You can't just change your ID number and change bank accounts, stuff like that. I mean, you can change banks, but it's a it's a massive process. And as well as having your employer information, I mean, the I'm just seeing the phishing emails in my head right now, and it is terrifying. Yeah, and it's not even just the phishing emails, because given what – I'm not an expert, but I just want to talk about what I know from writing stories like this in the past, is that these companies will sometimes um, – your debt as a person gets shuffled around between companies fairly often, and – Legally, I'm not saying this is a, a shady thing. The yeah, company gets purchased, it gets bought. Yeah, they buy and sell debt all the time. So sometimes you'll be contacted by a random company or person saying you owe them money, and it is legit. But now you have to be so careful about these calls you're going to get, and sometimes a legit company or a person representing that company will try and contact you, and you might think it's fake, and then that can get you into more trouble, which makes this whole situation so weird and terrifying honestly um something i also wanted to bring up quickly before we get into the, the main topic um you did mention banks there for a second but if anyone is worried about this i highly recommend calling up your bank and asking them what fraud services they offer you just so you know yeah it's um and also sometimes uh fraud services will change depending on what kind of account you have etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know, it's always good to know about that before something bad happens. So I really recommend people phone up their banks and ask about that. Um, and the last thing I want to mention is I wonder how this will work with Poppy or Poppy because um, it wasn't in effect in April, if I'm not mistaken, hmm. Brendan. Yes, you're correct there. It only came into so, effect in July, but... Uh, is it retroactive? I don't think it is retroactive, but what I think the what I'm curious to see what the information regulator looks at is what protections uh, debt in had for its uh, for its clients' information and whether it was sufficient. Because if you recall, that is probably the most important stipulation of Popia is that you have sufficient or you have to show in the event of a breach that you took every possible precaution to protect that data and given that uh debt in only realized that the data had left its network when that data was already on the dark web and frankly this is disgusting right sorry debt in if your pr team wants to get in contact with me i'll happily take the call but this is disgusting the fact that it took until september and it wasn't even the company that found it it was one of your partners I really hope that the information regulator takes this company to the cleaners because that is absolutely astounding that information was able to leave a network without anybody noticing. And if a partner hadn't done a sweep of the dark web, according to what debt ends uh, press release said, then this would never have been discovered. 
and who knows what what havelock this would have caused so i really hope that the information regulator makes an example out of debt in here because this is frankly disgusting behavior from a company that handles such sensitive information with yeah. clients that are really really on the brink it's it to me it's just astounding that this company has has done this and yeah and especially with the pandemic and so many people losing their job and being forced into debt it's the worst time it could have happened absolutely so yeah i i really hope that the information regulator uses this as an example not that i'm yep. saying other companies don't deserve to be made an example of but this is a really egregious issue that has now come to light and yeah this I've... might be the biggest case since poppy came into effect mm. so uh, I, again i'm not saying this maliciously i'm just saying it as um a guess uh the powers that be might want to you know, get the book and look to throw it at someone. And, oh boy, it might be the, these guys. Yeah, because Lord forbid that puppy actually doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's, let's not just, let this just skate by without being noticed because... Yeah, not just emails saying, <laughs> you'll protect your information, promise. Yeah, you actually have to protect it. Um, yeah, that's going to wrap up the news for this week. Driven by not one, but two motors working in tandem, the Logitech G920 for Xbox and G29 for PlayStation provide the most authentic driving experience for sim racing enthusiasts yet. Feel the curbing as you race through a rouge into Radeon at Spa-Francorchamps and eke out those few extra millimeters of grip as you perfect your drifts. Master your craft and visit www.wootware.co.za forward slash Logitech for more. And let's get on to our main topic uh, for this week. Seeing as it's a long weekend uh, and none of us feel like doing much of anything we're going to spend it camped out in front of uh, the television streaming series I've got a lot of stuff that I need to catch up on but today we're going to give you some suggestions of stuff that you might be interested in watching um, we've got stuff from a variety of streaming platforms whether that's Netflix or YouTube um, we're going to jump around a lot obviously we'll let you know where you can watch these things um, and yeah so I think we'll start off with you, Clinton. Uh, what, yeah. have you, what, what is your first recommendation for folks to watch this long weekend? So I'm going to hit you guys up quick with some comedy on Netflix. So anyone expecting me to be watching the cutting edge of um, content, uh, that's not the case. Both of, both of the things I've been watching are actually very old. Um, well, I did watch I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson, which just got a second season. That's amazing. And, and, so we yeah. have, that is yeah. an incredible little, what is it, like a skit show? Yeah, it's a sketch show, and it's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's been recommended for a very long time. It's got a massive following, despite coming out of nowhere, kind of. Um, and it's got a second season. Check that out. I didn't want to spend too much time on it. I just want to mention it. And also, it's got a skit called Coffin Flop, which I'll, look, I'll link to. <laughs> it might be my favorite skit of all time. The first time I watched it, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was laughing so hard I was crying. Um, that skit is hilarious. Anyway, the, the two shows I've actually been watching, yeah, the one that's recommended now, our community, uh, which is, of course, uh, from the mid-2000s, and then also IT Crowd, which is around the mid-2000s. Um, something that's weird about these two shows is that they might not show up, depending on where you're listening to this from. We assume you're in South Africa, but I think America doesn't have community on their Netflix or no, something like that. they don't. That. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to recommend them. Um, you can just use a VPN. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> so IT Crowd is... I've always known about it. I've known... The, the picture of Maurice Moss, which is one of the characters, is 
kind of synonymous with nerd culture. Mm. So it was weird to go back and watch it. And I've also seen some of the skits on YouTube, like uh, the internet is a black box, <laughs> um, uh, the the fire, and the oh the piracy warning in in the second season they have a spoof on the piracy warning where you you wouldn't download a car that old thing and it, it's so good and it still is good now uh, like a decade after the show came out more than a decade after the show came out that that piracy warning is so good it chef's kiss um i know some people get a bit weird when you recommend british comedy because they might not uh i don't know they think the britons are from another planet which sometimes they are but this is a lot of cringe humor um but if you've seen the office i mean the office is probably the most popular comedy in the world it's really so if you're used to that stuff you'll you'll fit in right here and it, it it's really interesting to see this was made around i think 2003 the first season came out or something like that how culture shifted because a big part of the it crowd's kind of modus operandi is that these guys like it and they like comic books and nerdy things like video games and because of that they are social pariahs which is weird because we've come almost full circle where yeah. all of that stuff is very much the mainstream so it is antiquated in in that respect they they really use that awkwardness of supposed nerds as a big part of the comedy that's why the three main characters one of them is supposed to be a straight man or a straight woman who kind of tries to set the nerds on the socially acceptable course so it is dated in that respect there's some um humor where oh th this person's gay so that's a big part of the comedy so if you watch it and you you, you do feel that that it is dated i mean it is you can't get around that but mm. i think a lot of it is timeless the the things i mentioned the piracy one and the fire skit and the internet black box all of that is still timeless in my opinion so i definitely recommend people check it out even if you have an aversion to cringe comedy, even if you have an aversion to British comedy, I still really think people should watch it. I've only watched half of it. There's four seasons. I've only seen two seasons so far. So unless it has a massive drop-off in the third and fourth seasons, it, it will still get my recommendation. Just stop watching when you don't find it funny anymore. And Community, I just want to touch on it because it's kind of had a second life on Netflix. At any one stage, it's one of the most watched shows. And the success of it on Netflix has kind of got people talking about it again, which is always nice. Um, for people who don't know, Community was created by Dan Harmon, who went on to make Rick and Morty, which is, again, one of the most popular shows in the world right now. Um, Community is so good. I, I love it. I watched the first few seasons. I, I think there's six seasons, if I'm not mistaken. I think I watched the first four or so when they first came out, and I was much younger. Well, all of us were much younger. And I really loved it, but I just didn't watch the rest. And I went back. Not only do those first few seasons stack up, the later seasons are also really good. And that is, it, it is antiquated in some respects, but there's still, there's so many parts in community which are just so iconic um, that are just talked about. And there's a reason so many people are falling in love with community again now that it's on Netflix, because it's just a fantastic show. Um, all of the people in it do such a good job. Uh, some people have become more famous than others. Um, uh, mostly Troy Barnes. Uh, what's his What's his real name again? Oh my God, Donald Glover. Yes, Donald Glover. <laughs> I always think of Danny Glover, and then I get them confused. And that's they've made jokes about that before. But I mean, he's the most. He went on to become almost too popular for the show, which is why he left in the the last two seasons. But everyone in it is so good. 
And the episode where they go into an MMO is still amazing. There's a few episodes that are animated or claymation, or they do little specials, which is not what you expect. And they do parodies of movies. They do parodies of other shows. It, it really feels like Dan Harmon wanted to do everything inside of one show mm. while the show is still having its own identity. So, again, I didn't want to talk about it too much because countless words have been written about community and why it's so good and why you should watch it. And I just want to, again, give it another another vote of confidence and say, go check it out. If you feel that it falls off around season five, which I think is when Dan Harmon actually got fired and he wasn't writing the show, then I understand that. But at least come back and watch the sixth season, which is when he came back. So those are my recommendations from Netflix. We'll come back around and I'll give you some YouTube. But um, who is up next? Robin. Robin, what are, you, what do you, what are your recommendations? for? Uh... Yeah, so I guess my recommendations, uh, one is funny, one is not, one's rather intense, actually. Um, okay. <laughs> it's uh, Normal People. It was a series that was developed by the BBC and streamed on Hulu uh, last year. Okay. Uh, as you may know, then uh, Hulu is not available in South Africa. So this year it actually became available by Showmax, so you can stream it on that platform. Mm. And it's based on a novel of the same name by an Irish author named uh, Sally Rooney. And it kind of chronicles uh, two young Irish people. Uh, they go to the same school but have uh, different backgrounds and kind of how they form a relationship and a bond and kind of how that is tested over time. And... There are a lot of great emotive moments in the in the series. It is it, it can at times be a very tough watch. It deals with elements like depression and abuse and stuff like that. So I understand that it's not exactly the best viewing for a public holiday. But I think if you are in a relationship with someone and you have been through tough times, it is quite uh, interesting viewing from from that perspective. So if you do have a loved one you want to try and watch a series with, that is. Has a bit more gravitas to it. Uh, I would recommend it. Um, my whole family's watched it, and and they really enjoyed it. So it doesn't necessarily have to be people that are in relationships that can enjoy it as well. Mm. So it really comes highly recommended from me. There are twelve episodes, if I remember correctly, uh, about thirty minutes each, and yeah, some some great performances, and yeah, it is like I said, quite intense, but is is well worth watching. So some really interesting dynamics as far as the relationship between men and women go. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's the more intense one that I would recommend uh, people give a watch or at least uh, perhaps check out a few episodes of. Uh, the other one is a Netflix series, and it's in its third season now, is Sex Education. It just recently was made available on the platform. Uh, season three kind of picks up uh, with season two ended. Uh, anyone that has watched the Sex Education series will know that it's got a lot of uh, uh, I don't want to say perverse, but uh, humor that is very innuendo filled. Uh, but what I really liked about it is the relationships that are explored. Uh, it doesn't just run the normal gamut of uh, man and woman, but it looks at uh, homosexual relationships as well. Uh, season three in particular focuses on two characters that were at odds with one another, um, Eric and Adam. Uh, the latter of which was actually bullying Eric. And 
he was struggling with his own sexual identity, and that's kind of explored in the series as well. So there's at least three seasons, three full seasons for you to enjoy oh, wow. on uh, on Netflix. And yeah, it also comes highly recommended as well. I think Gillian Anderson also recently won an Emmy for her performance in it, and Gillian Anderson, so Gillian Anderson is a goddess. Yeah, and you should watch it just for that. Um, yeah, so, so I guess those are my first two recommendations. We'll wheel back to me. I think we'll talk about something else that is really out of left field a bit later. So I've actually been meaning to watch Sex Education, but I've always just thought like I really don't want to watch high school teens running around. But maybe I'll give it a watch this week. Yeah, I think don't confuse it with like the teen movies that we probably watched growing up. So it's yeah. not like American Pies. I'm like, okay. there is more sophistication and more nuance to okay. it. There are obviously some ridiculous situations that happen to the main characters and those are always fine to watch, but it, 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 it's pretty well balanced as far as the themes it deals with and the humor it presents and some of the dramatic elements as well. Cool. So the first um, series recommendation that I want to just put forward, uh, basically because the the next season is coming out soon, uh, is You Season 3 is coming out soon. But there are two seasons that you can watch on Netflix right now. Um, both of my recommendations are very disturbing, and I think You is probably the most disturbing of them all. It's a psychological thriller about a stalker uh, whose name is Joe Goldberg. Uh, and Joe falls in love with an aspiring writer and uh yeah bad things happen i don't want to really ruin it because uh things take some very unexpected turns throughout the first season the second season is probably my favorite piece of tv in the last couple of years it really reeled me in in a way that i was not expecting and there's a fantastic number of twists that you do not see coming throughout the show. Um, so you comes very highly recommended if you like psychological thrillers. Um, Penn Badgley plays the uh, the main character, Joe Goldberg, uh, and he is just fantastic in the role. He is insanely creepy. Uh, and in season three, he's married to a woman named Love Quinn, who's played by Victoria Pedretti. Uh, who's an inspiring chef and almost as twisted as he as he is. Uh, that's sort of a spoiler for the second season, but not not really. Uh, as I mentioned, this the show is very unexpected in a number of ways. Like you think you know where something is going, and it does not. Um, so yeah, you comes very highly recommended for me. But something I wanted to talk a little bit more about is uh, a release from Netflix last week, uh, which is a South Korean drama slash thriller called Squid Game. Um, so Squid Game uh, follows 456 people uh, in South Korea who get selected to play a series of children's games. Um, and there is a cash prize of 45.6 billion won. Um, and all you have to do is you have to win the games. You have to be number one at the end. Uh, and yeah, seems pretty simple. The, the twist is that if you lose a game, you die. Um, and this graduates to a level I don't think I've ever seen before in such a short space of time. So in the first episode, about 10 minutes in, you are met with a massacre. That's pretty much the best way to describe it. There is a massacre within the first 10 minutes of the show. And it is done incredibly, incredibly well in a way that I don't that I think the West is very hesitant to do. Um, where for instance in a TV show you might see somebody like shoot somebody, the camera will cut away or 
you know, it, it, they'll be clever in how they shoot it. But in this show, they show you everything full on. It's full shock value. Um, but yeah, so essentially you follow one guy, um, uh, the main character. I call him 456 because everybody in these games ha- is, is assigned a number. Um, very and, stylish tracksuits. Yes, their tracksuits are very stylish. Um, and every day over the course of five days, uh, these contestants compete in games. What's really interesting, though, is that throughout the series, you're introduced to this mysterious company, which is only known for its PlayStation-like symbols of square, circle, and triangle. Um, and the guards are designated ranks according to those uh, those symbols. Uh, but you never really get to know who is behind uh, this game that is being played. You do eventually learn that where the games are happening, um, not that that tells you too much about the company behind this. Uh, and then you do learn that there are some rich folks involved in this whole scheme. I don't want to spoil too much because uh, saying one thing will probably kick off another set of spoilers that I don't really want to get into. Saying but, uh, people do ev- evil stuff isn't uh, isn't a spoiler. Yeah, That's a yeah. natural course of life. So while there are 456 characters, we only focus on a handful of them, uh, specifically uh, Ji Hun, who is number 456. Uh, he's played by Greg Chun. And then uh, Anupam Tripathi, who plays a character we come to know is named Ali. And then Vivian Liu plays uh, North Korean Sai Byuk. Um, and those three I mentioned specifically because their performances are incredible. Um, now, I watched this with both the dub and with just subtitles. And while both are good, the, uh, the, the version without the dub really shows off the performances of these actors and actresses. And I urge you to watch it with the subtitles just once. Even if you just watch one episode, it'll have you hooked because the performances are incredible. At times, the English voice acting can get a bit, sounds a bit out of place, um, but it is uh, translated, or not, not translated, it is interpreted rather than translated, so where sometimes there'll be like a really weird, like somebody will say something in English that doesn't make sense because there's a direct translation from South Korean. Uh, that's not the case here. It's just really well executed. Um, the visual style is fantastic. The uh, the, 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 the the soundtrack is haunting to a point where it makes you feel uneasy a lot of the time like it it switches between classical music from like Bach to this like really really eerie electronic music um the camera work is fantastic the creativity behind this is is simply amazing it's it was reportedly in development for over a decade and it shows um that having been said, I hope that Netflix is commissioning a second season and that doesn't take um, a decade to create because I want more of this. Um, and it's not just me that is is losing their mind about this. The show is, I would hazard a guess at saying Netflix is most successful worldwide since po- probably The Witcher or something like House of Cards or one of their big name titles. Um, but yeah, Squid Game is definitely something worth watching. There are nine episodes in total. They're about 45 minutes to an hour long. Um, but yeah, it, it will have you hooked from episode one. You will not be able to stop watching. I highly, highly recommend watching Squid Game. Even if you don't like watching movies with dubs or having to read subtitles, this is something you should watch. It is that good. 
So, Brendan, something yes. I just wanted to ask, because I watched the uh, autoplay trailer that's mm. on the front page of Netflix, is that the subtitles and then the English dub don't match up. Yes. And if you are watching that, I, you know, I'm an English speaker. I hope that's apparent. Um, I, I still watch a lot of stuff with subtitles just because I, I don't have the best hearing, but I could see that the subtitles, I think, come from the original Korean, but then they don't match with the dubbing. So I just wanted to... Th- did you find does that happen more or was no. it just so I think that's that's maybe just an oddity of the um of the Netflix front page because the subtitles in the so I watched the subtitles with the dub and without and the subtitles without the dub are the same as the subtitles with the dub. I'm no I'm getting convoluted here, but I'm the same as you can I also watch with subs most of the time. Um, and the translation that is in the undubbed version is the dialogue from the English version. So it matches up identically. So you're not going to be confused. Like I know there's a show called uh, Alice in Borderland, which is Japanese. Uh, it's a similar idea to Squid Game, although not really. It's it's completely different. Um, but there the subtitles don't match up with the dub. And if you watch it without the dub, it makes no sense whatsoever. Like it's really, really bad. So the the if you're just gonna watch without the English uh, overdub, uh, the t- the subtitles are fine from my experience. Right, uh, Clinton, we're going back to you. What's what, what's your next recommendation? Uh, something that you can just watch for free. You don't need a Netflix subscription. Yeah. It's some stuff on YouTube, and I mean, I've written a lot about great stuff on YouTube. I really think it's a it's a great bastion where a lot of people can make stuff that wouldn't have existed before and they can make it their full-time job but i don't want to talk about the whole thing holistically i just want to talk about some uh specific channels really quickly and there's something that i've never done in real life but it's something that i can now explore thanks to youtube and that is something called scratch bashing is what they usually call it so excuse me uh, yeah so a lot of people uh, is anyone here familiar with kit bashing no mm, so no Kit bashing is when you take uh, model kits like Gundams and um, and race cars and stuff like that. They all come as unpainted uh, models on sprues, which you then need to assemble and paint. And it's kind of like Lego in the fact that you can do it how the box is, it, or you can take a lot of the boxes and make whatever you want. So that's kit bashing. Scratch bashing is when you start with nothing. You start with junk you find around the house. And you assemble it into models. And one of the YouTube channels that uh, I'm going to talk about today called Studson Studio, they made the rounds, um, you know, outside of this little niche of channels because they made a model of Howl's Moving Castle. And it's it's this massive, immaculate creation that has already racked up 3.4 million views. And this is a big YouTube channel. It has um, more than 400,000 subscribers. But this video really took off for them. It really did the best because i think a few news um places covered it and it got shared just virally and it was strange because i was already subscribed to them and then um one of my friends sent me this video they're like oh check it out and also what makes this unique is that it's almost an hour long this video but it's still got 3.4 million views you don't usually see that many views for such a long video so it's what i said they took trash that they found around their house um old containers um take out boxes stuff that they bought from the dollar store and they cut it up and they glued it together and then they painted it to make Howl's movie castle and it's not a one-to-one recreation but at first glance it is a one-to-one recreation 
there's just little details that aren't as the same. And in the making of videos, they say that sometimes it's not one-to-one because it won't work in real life because we'll be too weak or it's just artistic liberty. Something that works in the movie might not work in real life as a model. So it's amazing and it will send you down this rabbit hole of other YouTube channels that you can watch that do the same thing. And uh, two I want to talk about are Boy Lie Hobby Time. Uh, it's got a weird name. They also do scratch bashing and kit bashing. Um, but I want to talk about Boy Lie. I don't know what, why they have that name. It's very strange because they have their own little universe that they're creating where it's Western, but there's monsters. So one of them here is the the, the last upload is Monster Hunting Wagon, Giant Scorpion Ambush, where they make a little, um, a little what's it called, a wagon, but it's getting attacked by a giant monster scorpion. So I've always liked the Wild West, but, and then you get some sci-fi elements. So they've got this whole world they're creating with miniatures that they're making from scrap which is really cool. And the last one that kind of fits into all of this is called The Craftsman. Not craft with a T, but craft without the T. Just, it's the craft man. Yeah. And his videos are just so relaxing. And he, he does do kit bashing and scratch bashing, but he also does all manner of um, videos. He did one where he shows you how to make um, your own plastic molds. He shows you how to make... Um, What's it called? Yeah, this one is called Straight Up Make a Boulder, <laughs> where it just makes a model boulder for use with anything, right? Uh, you can put your key in it and hide it outside. You can use it for your miniatures. You can use it for whatever. And he does such a wide range of videos that are all somehow related to crafting or making your own things. Um, oh, this one's really cool. You'll like this one, Brendan. They made a, um, a guitar amp key holder where they have a little martial amp, and then you put your keys onto... Um, what they're called audio sockets and then you plug them in when you oh, get home wow that's cool yeah. so it's a lot of cool stuff that i i i don't think i'd ever do any of this stuff but it's so nice to watch it's something that you can experience on youtube where you just don't get it anywhere else where you can get deep into a hobby without actually doing the hobby yourself and i'm sure all three of the youtube channels i talked about would really encourage people to do, do it themselves and maybe i will one day but it's really cool to experience it, um, you know, without expending the effort. And I can be fat and lie on my couch and watch it. <laughs> links to all three of those channels. Check them out. And specifically, I think maybe start with that How's Moving Castle uh, video. You don't have to watch the whole hour. But I think after you watch like 10 minutes, you'll be like, okay, I want to see where this is going. And the last thing I want to mention about all of this is that you really need vision uh, i mean it's like sculpting like a, a block of clay or some marble you have to look at that piece of nothing and you need to see how it's going to look at the end and it's it's really quite a, a magical moment when they've glued all these things together and because it's all basically trash it's all different colors and it's all mismatched and it looks terrible and then they put a, a primer a, a base coat on it and then it suddenly transforms from a heap of trash into, oh, that's how's moving castle. Every time, it's my favorite part of every episode where they take this hunk of junk and then they spray it. And the uniformity of the color brings it all together. And you're like, oh, my God, that's that's amazing. <laughs> so check out all those channels. And unlike Netflix, you don't need a subscription. It's all free, even though I do recommend YouTube Premium. Yeah. Robin, your next set of recommendations. Yeah, uh, this one also is rather intense and weird and amazing and totally crazy it's um we actually covered it earlier 
in the year when it was announced on Amazon Prime Video, and that's Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.01 Thrice Upon a Time. And that just gives you a little indication of how insane this uh, the rebuild of Evangelion movies are. Um, because uh, anyone that kind of knows anime knows that Evangelion is a, a real touch point for a lot of people uh, as far as getting into the art form. And yeah, the this is the fourth and final installment in the rebuild of Evangelion series of movies. Um, the previous one... Uh, came out in 2012. So this has been quite a long time in the making and it's available, or actually all four are available to view on Amazon Prime Video. If you want to watch the Evangelion series, which I highly recommend you do as well, um, you can check that out on Netflix. I'm not too sure actually if Amazon Prime Video has the series, but I know for certain that Netflix does. It also has a couple of the rebuilds uh, on there, but uh, as far as I understand, Amazon Prime Video is the only place that you can watch Thrice Upon a Time. And I haven't watched it yet. I've kind of been preparing myself because I hear it is quite insane as the other rebuilds have been. Um, I also recommend perhaps watching all four in, in a kind of binge-watching session or over maybe the course of two days or something like that because there is a lot that happens and it is sometimes a little bit perhaps difficult to keep track of what's going on because the rebuild series kind of happens after the events of the, the the main series and it's almost like a reimagining of the world after some very critical events that happen in the series. I don't want to perhaps spoil anything. Also, I don't want to get anything wrong because the Evangelion community is a fierce one. So if you well, get the information wrong, they all come after you. The thing about the series is that even if you spoiled something or even if you tried to explain something, um, it really wouldn't matter because in the show, everything's real, but nothing is either it's it's not i don't want to say oh it's loosey-goosey and it's whatever you want it to be it's just that a lot of weird stuff happens and almost none of it is explained but that's kind of the charm of all of it yeah (laughs) i think probably after the the first episode everything well nothing makes sense anymore you just have to just let it wash over you yeah you at some point it's almost uh, i mean tenet is nothing like this but in terms of just kind of going with the flow it is, um, the best way to enjoy Tenet is to just stop asking about why <laughs> it's happening and to just like surrender yourself to it. And with even Gellion, it's, it's the same. Um, I've been familiar with this series for almost my whole life. I remember I watched some of the first episodes on an old DSTV channel called Animax and I was my little young brain couldn't really comprehend what I was seeing. So I've always been used to the absolute weird brand of insanity and i introduced my friend to it and it was the funniest thing in the world watching him sitting there and squirming and not not really comprehending what he was seeing so if we can introduce someone to that and they can also have that experience i'm very happy about it and again a great thing about it is that we can tell you everything that happens and you'll think oh you just spoiled it all for me and then you'll watch it and then we didn't spoil anything at all i'm sounding cryptic i'm not you know it's like the matrix i can't explain what it is you have to see it for yourself and i'm really happy that it's just all on amazon and you can just sit down and watch it all um and like robin said you can just binge it all this weekend if you want it may take a long time i think that the last movie is like three hours or something um but they'll fly by because again you won't know what's going on (laughs) yeah i think what i find is that a lot of people watch the series 
and it's one of those things that you either love or hate. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people that actually rewatch it will start to get get into it more. I think the more times you rewatch it, because there's like we said, there's so much happening and there's so much nuance to it. So many different references and inspirations and sources that it pulls from. Um, there's religion and science fiction and even perhaps even Buddhism and stuff like that. There's a lot going on and apart from the big giant mix that are fighting uh, monsters and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it is well worth a watch. Like I said, it is really intense, though, uh, especially certain parts of the series. Um, the, for, for all intents and purposes, the main character, his name is Shinji Akari, and he does some, some reprehensible things, uh, I guess, halfway through towards the end of the series, and it becomes really difficult to kind of cheer for the for a protagonist when he's doing this kind of stuff um but like i said it, it is it is not a conventional anime that you might might see netflix and the like doing these days it is still very much the touch point as far as great anime goes at least from my perspective i, I can't speak for clinton as well is that it kind of pretends to be just about big robots fighting big monsters um but then as it's revealed what those robots and what those monsters are, it just gets insane. And something that's very funny as well is that, um, what's it called? The, the movies are even more abstract than the show. So I've heard some people say they, they really like one and they don't love the other. So it really is two different beasts. And we don't want to say you need to spend the next 300, uh, like 200 hours of your life watching the show and then watching the movies and then watching the extra movies which were made before the rebuilds. Just just do whatever you want, kind of. You'll find your way through and you always have Google to lead you. And another thing about, it's funny that Robin talked about it has like religious imagery, but the creator of the show has said that he used religious imagery just because it's cool. So uh, again, it comes back to what I said. It has all the meaning you wanted to have and it has none of the meaning you wanted to have. And it, it can be whatever you want it to be. A great thing about Evangelion is that it's your personal experience and you can make of it what you want. So if it offends you that it has Christian imagery, fine, be offended. If you think it makes no sense, it doesn't make sense. If you think it's the greatest piece of art ever made, it's the greatest piece of art it's ever made. Go watch it, please. I, and I really like to recommend this to people who don't like anime because this isn't like any other anime it's really just its own thing that everyone should watch at least once in their life yeah 100% agree it's not like your I guess I always feel like the Studio Ghibli stuff is things that people can really get into because it's quite easy and accessible this is not this is not that yeah uh, but I think it's it's, it's great because of that yeah, 100%. Brendan is probably thinking we, uh, we sound like madmen trying to convert him to a cult. Um, Brendan, if you have some time, I, <laughs> I really recommend you just watch the show. Watch the show. It's a shorter commitment. It's all on Netflix. You can watch it at your own pace. I really want you to watch the show and then come to me at some point and say, Clinton, what the hell did I just see? And then <laughs> off. Because that's what, exactly what happened to my friend. He was... He didn't live tweet it, but after he watched the Rebuild movies, he just... He just sent me some messages with lots of expletives and I had the time of my life reading them. Well, maybe I've got some time this weekend, so why not? Oh my God. Please do it, Brent. <laughs> right. Uh, I just want to round off with uh, two YouTube channels uh, that I think you will find very interesting. One is about food and one is about scams. Um, the first one about food is actually a solo guy. His name is Adam Ragusia. 
Uh, he's an Italian-American who lives in the Midwest, uh, in the United States, obviously. And while he does do cooking videos, he also does food education videos and uh, videos about food science. Um, so one of his main claims to fame is why he he's, he put he puts wine, white wine specifically, into pretty much everything, um, and seasons his X instead of his Y, um, which is is kind of a little inside joke among uh, fans of the channel. Uh, but it's really really interesting stuff. So some of the the topics that he uh, discusses off the top of my head is. Uh, Things like what is panko breadcrumbs, which is something you've like a term you've likely encountered if you watch uh, international cooking shows. You might not have experienced it or seen it here in South Africa, um, even though it is available. Uh, stuff like uh, why do you need uh, baking powder? What's the difference between baking powder and baking soda? Um, things about explaining steak, and then there's obviously some some cooking recipe or cooking videos uh, that showcase recipes. But what I love about Adam Ragusia is that it's all just made from a home cook's perspective. Um, so you're not going to have like, oh, well, you must have uh, vanilla extract from XY store that uh, has this specific flavor of vanilla. It's very, very relaxed. Like if you don't have this, substitute it with that. Um, it's all just very chilled. And recently... Um, the channel has kind of shifted towards looking more at the history of food, not specifically like the ancient history, but how the history has informed or changed society to what we know today. So things like uh, there was a video series where he literally grew his own wheat and then milled it to make bread um, just to show us what that experience was like. Um, another really interesting video was about farming mushrooms and how that has become a, a really more scientific thing than a farming activity. Um, there's just, there's, there's so much, I can't actually go through it all, but it is a really fantastic watch. If you're interested in food or you just want to learn to cook some new things or a different way of cooking. Um, for instance, I no longer use brown sugar in my baking because uh, Adam Ragusia gave me a bit of a tip that all you need is molasses, which lasts longer than brown sugar, and you can add it to white sugar and you got brown sugar. Um, so just there's some really, really interesting videos here, and I urge you to give it a watch if you are interested in food at all. You maybe just want to improve your cooking repertoire. Um or you just want to see somebody who has a really, really nice voice uh, go through cooking videos. Uh, Adam Ragusea does kind of, he was a journalist before he became a YouTuber. And before he was a YouTuber, he was also a lecturer at a university. So uh, most of his videos are backed up with um, scientific studies, which he links to, which is really, really nice. Uh, so you can see the research that he's referenced in his videos. Um, and yeah, it's just, a, it's just a really, really nice, accessible YouTube channel uh, that showcases some really great food. And even though uh, the guy is American, uh, a lot of it is really, really worldwide um so yeah check him out adam ragusea literally just youtube.com uh, and then search adam ragusea that's r-a-g-u-s-e-a -E um the last channel i want to talk about is mostly about scams or uncovering scams uh the channel's name is coffeezilla um and the presenter goes by that name as well and what coffeezilla does is something that i kind of I sit down and I watch his videos and I'm like, damn, I wish I had thought of this. Essentially what he does is he looks for cryptocurrency scams uh, or just pump and dump 
financial scams, whatever they may be, um, whether that is uh, these these guys that sell business training um, and all they ever tell you are very basic things like you need to increase your marketing, duh, um, and a whole bunch of other scams that are running around us on a day-to-day basis. Uh, what I really love is that he doesn't just fire from the hip as soon as he finds something. He goes and does his research. So um, recently there was a scam called Save the Kids, which was billed as a charity token. Um, turned out that it was more of a pump and dump than anything else. And uh, CoffeeZilla, together with another group of you or some other YouTubers, uh, worked together to uncover the scam, trace down Bitcoin wallets, uh, trace them to their owners. Uh, it was it was just a really, really fantastic investigation and kind of put this channel on my radar. And since then, uh, I, it's one of those channels where I literally did click subscribe and click the bell because um, some of the stuff that he does is really, really interesting. Uh, one of his main topics is Tether, the uh, cryptocurrency that is supposedly backed by the US dollar. Um <clears throat> or uses the US dollar as a, a measure of value. Um, so that's 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 really interesting, especially when you see his perspective on it. Um, doesn't outright call it a scam, but but kind of says that you should be a bit worried about it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's quite a few of them. My favorites, though, are the ones where he looks at Ponzi schemes and then uh, obviously the, the fake gurus who portray themselves. I'm waiting for the day where he does a... Uh, an episode around one of, in my opinion, the worst confidence men, uh, JT Fox. I really don't like that person. Um, and I'd love to see what uh, good old CoffeeZilla has to say about him one day, if he ever does a video. But yeah. All brothers have a, a system like that. I don't think they will like financial things they were saying how to be popular on youtube and stuff like that yeah they did but i mean nowadays i mean i'm just on coffeezilla's uh youtube channel here right now and there's a video called exposing logan paul's new crypto art uh which is basically if you're not aware logan paul is now selling uh crypto art which is two animals combined into one but uh, most of the art is literally just stock photos that are blended together by a photoshop and then they sell them for like $1.3 million. So, yeah. Um, he ruins the crypto market like he ruined the Pokemon card game. That's and, all I, can I mean, they've also, he also covers NFTs. Um, so, yeah, there's, a, there's really a lot of good work that this guy does. And I really recommend you give him a watch, especially if you are in the cryptocurrency space. Um, and like he, he doesn't really hold back his punches. If he thinks something is a scam, he will come out and say it. Um, he's been served cease and desist letters and literally just read them out in a YouTube video because he's not afraid of these people uh, or the scammers rather. So yeah, I really, really highly, rec highly recommend CoffeeZilla. Um, ad hoc to that, if you want to watch some scam baiting, uh, there's a channel called Kit Boga who literally just logs on to or calls scammers and pretends to be somebody else and sees how much of their time he can waste. He's got records for the most amount of time he's wasted for a scammer, um, as well as uh, a whole variety of different characters that he plays. Uh, but he keeps he, he edits those into shorter videos that you can watch on YouTube. Uh, so search for Kit Boga if you want to watch some truly, truly hilarious uh, scam baiting, even though I should augment this with don't scam bait. Um, it could get you in a lot of trouble, especially if you don't know what you're doing. 
Um, and a lot of the times scammers are linked to more nefarious things. So those are three YouTube channels that I think you should watch. Coffeezilla, uh, Adam Ragusea for cooking, and then Kit Boga for scam baiting. Does anybody have any uh, honorable mentions they'd like to make? Clinton? Uh, I don't want to piggyback Rob and stuff, but uh, I'm going to give uh, Evangelion another thumbs up. You should go watch that. If you only do one thing this weekend, watch those. And Robin, any honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, I think I, I kind of alluded that you shouldn't be watching them, but probably checking out the Studio Ghibli catalog on Netflix as well. Might as well, if you're trying to get into anime, you might as well give that a watch as well. Give that a watch. And uh, I'm just going to round off by saying, watch whatever makes you happy, right? That's what I'm going to say. If you want to watch something 300 times, do it. Nobody's going to judge you. Maybe your parents will, but we won't. Um, that's going to wrap it up from us for this edition of the Africast. Thank you so, so much for joining us on your Heritage Day. Um, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the long weekend. Thank you once again to Logitech for sponsoring this edition of the Africast. Uh, but from myself, Brendan Lotz, Cheerio from Clinton Matos. Everyone. And from Robin Lichetti. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. With easy-to-reach controls and ultra-responsive floor pedals, the Logitech G920 for Xbox and Logitech G29 for PlayStation put you in control. Using gears modeled after those used in automotive transmissions reduces unwanted noise and vibration so that you can focus on your game. The Logitech series of wheels is available now for Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. Upgrade your racing setup by heading to www.wootwear.co.za forward slash Logitech.